Hello everyone, it's Thursday the 10th of March and welcome to episode 96 of the Kite Podcast with me, Will Evans. And me, Ben Eagle. Now as war continues in Ukraine, food and farming focused minds have turned to the question of what happens in terms of this year's and future harvests in what is one of the richest wheatlands in the world. Um, and at the same time, it's probably everyone will be aware fertiliser prices continues to set records. Um, so in an increasingly confused and volatile situation, um, what will the effect of the Ukraine crisis be on commodity availability and prices around the world? And in turn, what might it mean for farmers of all types here in the UK? Well, to unpick these gritty issues, we are joined by James Bolsworth, who is Managing Director at CRM Agri-Commodities, and Mike Bray, who is a partner at Kite. We are not joined this week by everybody's favourite dairy market analyst, Chris Walkland. He has gone away on holiday. How dare he leave us? But... Saga holidays cruise, I believe. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I'm glad you've got to dig in when he's not here. Yeah. He, won't, he won't be listening. It's fine. That sounds dangerous. <laughs> so, yeah, so no, no milk market report this morning, um, but we're going to go straight over to James. James, welcome back to the show. It feels like feels like we only ever have you on when there's some massive crisis. So when you, you know you know when something is happening in the world when James Bolsworth comes on the Kite podcast. <laughs> um, but in broad terms, um, let's let's focus in on Ukraine. Why is war in Ukraine so fundamental uh, when it comes to commodity markets, particularly wheat, but also things like sunflower oil? Yeah, well, no, thank you very much for having me having me back on. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's been, been uh, pretty often recently with everything going on from COVID to, to the weather issues we've seen around the world. Um, and now, of course, um, this unprecedented Russian invasion of Ukraine, which um, has really turned global commodity markets, not just agriculture, um, on their heads. And, and I mean, the significance um, can't really be understated. Uh, you've got Ukraine and Russia who combined uh, account for a third of global wheat and barley exports, um, a quarter of the global corn exports. Um, and you know, as you mentioned, it's not just um, uh, the, the grains which are impacted, it's also the oil seeds. Um, I mean, most of Europe's rapeseed uh, imports come from Ukraine. Um, and uh, we also take around uh, 20% of all Ukraine sunflower meal exports. Um, so when you have a situation like this, where essentially we've had a freeze on, on exports out of uh, out of particularly Ukraine and also uh, Russia as well, um, uh, particularly by sea, uh, it, it, in, to, the, to the extent that you really can't even get a price uh, for a lot of these commodities. We've seen a few tenders um, recently, um, and actually they ended up being cancelled just because there weren't enough offers uh, being seen. Um, uh, so, you know, the, the, the situation is unprecedented and um, who knows how long it's going to roll on for now. Yeah, I mean, based on that, I mean, how have the your start of a ten, which is almost an impossible question in many ways, how have the markets been reacting, and I mean, how might they continue to actually behave um, in the in the coming weeks when when the situation is changing so quickly? Yeah, well, I think you know, we, we if we go back and consider that prices were already very high before this crisis began, um, uh, and that was on the basis that we had seen obviously surging global demand, um, weather issues. Uh, last season, we saw uh, Canada hit and North America hit by drought. Uh, we've seen drought in South America as well, uh, and you know stocks have been drawn down significantly um, as as surging demand and supply chain issues around the world um, uh, took effect. 
Um, now you've also seen you know this this sudden sharp uh, drop um, in 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 supply out of the world's major exporting regions, and, and prices have reacted one way. You know we've seen wheat up thirty five percent in a month, seventy five seventy percent now over the course of the last year. Rapeseed up thirty percent in the last month, one hundred and six percent in the last year. Um, and it, you know we need to consider as well that. Nobody was really expecting this. So for wheat, you know, funds, uh, hedge funds uh, had placed uh, pretty significant bearish bets on these on these wheat markets. Uh, betting prices would fall, and suddenly you had um, a lot of funds, a lot of commercial operators, a lot of farmers around the world who were basically on the wrong side of the market and had to buy back their positions. Um, and there wasn't because of the limits which are put on the, the Chicago market, so the main benchmark, uh, we saw essentially uh, wheat going what's called limit up for, for seven consecutive days. So people just couldn't trade out of these positions. And that's why we saw prices surging so aggressively and remaining so supported now because you have such a shift in sentiment in such a short period of time. Um, in terms of yeah, where we're going, well, it's looking likely to remain supported, you know, really until people have more certainty over what supply we're going to see and, and supply chains have time to readjust. So let's break that into the current season and, and potential sort of future seasons. What what might the impact be um, looking looking currently? I think one thing is sure, and and that is that we're going to see heightened volatility. You know, the the the, the twenty pound a tons swings, the eighty five cents on 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 Chicago a bushel swings. You know, that, that expect those to to remain in this market um, uh, because the market is trading ultimately headlines. It's trading rhetoric. It's trading um, you know the day to day impact of of a war. In these major producing and exporting regions, so volatility will be one. Uh, that volatility leads to a, a risk premium priced into the market, which we're seeing at the moment, and uh, and that risk premium will stay. Um, the big question is how long is this going to is this going to last? You know, are we looking at an impact which just uh, just just hits the the remainder of the export season for the 2021 harvest, or are we looking at uh, something which then impacts what we should be seeing now, which is plantings, uh, particularly spring plantings in, in, in Ukraine, or are we going into 2023 harvest season or 2022 yeah. harvest, 2023 plantings, and you know, will Ukrainian farmers be able to plant their crops next season? Um, uh, are they going to take the risk? Um, there's a lot of questions which still need to be answered at the moment, um, and it remains highly uncertain, hence very volatile. James, you, you said earlier about until um, supply chains can sort of um, relax and, or not relax, I suppose. Rebalance, yeah. Rebalance. And, yeah. and, you know, when we think about food supply chains at the beginning of COVID, it would have been unthinkable, you know, and actually the, the disruption last lasted two or three weeks. Now, okay, we didn't necessarily had a have a supply and demand issue in the same as um, with some of the commodities, but but how long do you think that rebalancing will could or will take? You know how because we, we're quite most as with most things in life, we can be quite um, you know ingenious when we need to be, can't we? Yeah, ab- absolutely. And I mean, it's it, it's a really good question um, because uh, fundamentally, um, the world has become very reliant on on these uh, producers and exporters. Which you know we know we've discussed in the past on these podcasts. Uh, I, I, you know I've, I've said it at talks many times in the past. It's 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 not um, a situation now where 
we can obviously look to Russia, look to Ukraine and assume that we're going to get the same sorts of levels of supply and exports um, as, as we have done historically. But this isn't, you know, this, this is actually relatively new to these markets. Uh, it was it was only 20 years ago um, when Russia accounted for 5 percent of global wheat exports. Uh, now they, they 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 obviously account for much much higher twenty thirty percent of global wheat exports. Um, historically, you know, twenty years ago the U.S. accounted for thirty percent, and now they account for more like ten percent. So you've seen these big big shifts because ultimately everybody has gone to the the, the lowest cost producer. Um, there's been big investments in Russia, um, so it's going to take time to see these these markets untangle themselves and readjust, and and obviously intertwined with that you've got. Uh, biofuel policies which have incentivized big big shifts in in what you know producers have have been growing around the world and and you know particularly in the US uh, 2005 um renewable fuel standard mandates came in and, and we saw 40% of US corn uh, go into um this subsidized program uh, to produce bioethanol and and that has had a marked impact obviously on what the US can produce what they export and and these sorts of issues obviously hang in the air as to as to how sustainable this is because ultimately the world it needs feeding and uh, you know global demand remains strong it continues to grow uh, and 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 that's that's the game we're in Mike, let's bring you in here for your Kite Podcast debut. Welcome to the show. Have you been seeing any impact on a farm level yet in terms of client decisions and actions? Yes, good morning. And um, yeah, very pleased to be on the podcast for the first time. I think the the impacts that we've we've seen so far um, are because clients have covered, we'd encourage them to book ahead as we always have done on a hedged out basis uh, to mitigate risk or price volatility or change in price of um, grains and uh, oil seeds. Um, most people are covered into the spring and the majority covered for the summer. A number are covered into next winter and one or two into the uh, you know into 2023. Um, so hopefully those contracts will be supplied uh, and delivered. Um, so, so from that point of view, straights wise, clients are sensibly covered. One or two are going to have to take some um, load, you know, loads to fill in for the summer. But the majority are covered. Our cake groups are covered through the summer um, and, and uh, into next winter. So we have hedged out a lot to do with James's advice uh, about continually, as I say, covering and hedging in that way. I think a number, though, we're going to start to experience with the cost of production milk pricing models that have been down at 33p um, with what was before the Ukrainian crisis, um, a break-even milk price into the 22, 23-year uh, circa 35p our, our latest estimate is a break-even milk price of close to or just over 40 pence so it's the ability of farms to cash flow these inputs outside of those that haven't contracted for straights and the impact that that may have on milk flows which i know we'll talk about further later yeah so what are the on-farm challenges in terms of formulating diets amidst the uncertainty and every i know from my own point of view every decision you're making at the moment feels huge 
Yes, it does. And it's quite a responsibility. I, I think it's yeah. certainly put agriculture massively back on the map. I don't think in my career have I felt um, the, the, the input that we can have and that agriculture uh, in terms of feeding the population, um, you know, and, and there, is a, there is probably quite a big looming food crisis, not only inflation wise, but availability. If, if we haven't got fertilizer on farm, if we haven't, can't apply as much as we would do normally, um, then it's not just our dairy farms, but it's also our, our wheat farms. And this isn't just a UK crisis, is it? it it's a sort of a world position. And I don't know where the politicians, perhaps outside of my remit, but where the politicians are thinking this food crisis could be heading and food pricing. Um, closer to home, we just talked about, you know, farmers having contract or clients having contracted for the majority of their feed in straits for a given time period. But outside of that, into 2023, we're going to be exposed, obviously, to whatever the pricing is then and the impacts. I would say very short term, there's there's a requirement uh, or a lot of conversation about feed grade urea, which is a vital component to our diets where you know, whole crop is fed, certainly maize. Uh, last year's uh, forages were low in protein. So we've relied heavily on the inclusion of feed grade urea. And I'm already getting messages from clients where availability is now limited, if at all. What are our plans and what are we going to do about that? So, um, you know, that's, that's something very immediate. I think we're going to be challenged with feeding lower and lower protein diets. Um, which will be interesting to see how we get on with that, because potentially there is an environmental consideration or future benefit from doing so. But that may well limit and impair milk production at the same time. Yeah. So what's your advice then to clients? I mean, what are you telling them in terms of managing their risk at the moment? Well, it, it again, coming back to the point that we have got relatively good cover, um, we're encouraging clients to perhaps be more precise in what they are feeding and accuracy, given the price of some of these inputs, bagged products, certainly the bulk products. Can we be uh, more accurate in what we do in that way? Um, availability of rapeseed meal, we've spoken about a lot and uh, again, been encouraging clients, not just from a pricing point of view, but a contract availability point of view to have booked. So we're rather hopeful that the majority have got cover through the summer subject to supply and force majeure that could apply. Um, if we can't get hold of rapeseed, then we can revert to soybean meal um, because we've been very heavy feeders of rapeseed in recent years because of the quality of what it is and what we can do with it. But certain milk buyers haven't permitted or don't permit the use of soybean meal. So we may not have that option unless there is a derogation. Um, that will be an interesting one to pose to some people because food supply is probably more critical than perhaps the way in which it's fed or produced. I think that it's the feed grade urea story and, and making sure fertilizer wise that where we got fertilizer, we do apply it fully for that cuts one and two at least to ensure forage quantity and quality. Uh, what we do for third and fourth cuts, I guess we will have to review depending on uh, fertilizer supply, fertilizer availability. Um, and that's why I come back to my point about 
the impending food crisis is, isn't necessarily now because we're living on the back of contracts secured and foraging clamps at the moment. Um, yeah. So it, it's it's more next winter, I, I, I think, and sense um, that we will have those challenges in terms of uh, we, we need to keep doing the same normal, sensible, controlled things and not overreact. Chloe was reporting, I think, and I don't know how, how widespread it is, but some agronomists in the Far East are talking about saving some of their fertilizer this year, up to 50% of it for next year, which, you know, it just scares me to think that those sorts of conversations are being had because the prospect for human food supply is, is highly reliant on that fertilizer, isn't it? Um, I don't I don't think that politicians or people actually comprehend the what well, agriculture does um as i said earlier i think it does come back to maybe agriculture is back on the map massively along with energy security isn't it as, as i say I've had, I've had similar conversations you know here in the uk with farmers who are who are looking to reduce application rates roll some through to next year um uh, so you know i think everybody's got their their eye on it um uh, but yeah, I mean, what are the consequences for yield? Is 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 the big question, and um, you know, have we ever tested it to this degree? If anything, I'm I'm trying to tell all my clients to make sure for cuts one and two, as I indicated, that the full oh, right. rate of N and sulfur goes on for all the right reasons. And I think Ben made a very good reference yesterday in in your um, our CBT CPD session that we must keep cows milking. It's our best defence against rising costs, and I think that's a really good little snippet. Mm. Very yeah. difficult, isn't it, in a time like this, though? Because y- your human instinct is, um, you know, yeah. w- when the world around you turns to chaos. I just wondered if we could pick up Mike's point and, and James be really interested in in your comments on this and you did make a, a comment earlier about you know crops going into the um, renewables or bioethanol and actually this really fine balance now that we're possibly in um, between you know food security and food availability and then you know wh- where these really valuable commodities are going you know are you hearing those conversations at higher levels, you know, are, they, are, they, are governments coming to you for advice or for insight on, you know, because we've had the conversation before about the stocks levels, you know, and, and that's what was driving the volatility before the, the Ukraine situation. Yeah, so I mean, there, there are higher level talks going on, but clearly, you know, we're, we're two weeks into this this conflict and things don't change overnight you know there's there's renewed discussions about the fracking industry in the north of england there's already you know lobbying going on over um, ethanol mandates in the us um so you know th- th- there is discussion happening naturally as, as you'd expect at a, at a time like this but you know these these clean energy uh ships are, are very large ones they take a long time to turn around and and um it, yes it's right to sort of prioritize food and and prices at this point, but you know, it, 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 it's not um, as, as quick to change as I said as 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 you know it would need to be, and and um, that therefore you know at the moment we need to look at sort of alternative ways of increasing the production, plugging the gaps, um, uh, and quite simply at the moment there just isn't the supply or alternatives available in order to do that. So <clears throat> we're looking at a season. 
or two now um, uh, before things start to come back into, into balance. And that would assume, obviously, um, uh, we have good production. And, and, and that's the issue right now is that production isn't looking um, that favourable in South America. You've already seen um, sharp reductions in Argentine corn outputs. Um, you've seen uh, big concerns over hard red winter wheat areas in, in the US already just because of dry conditions. So you know, in in a good year, the market obviously would 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 be shocked and and uh, hugely impacted by the loss of of Russian and Ukrainian output, even for a, a small period of time. In a bad year, it really does amplify the impacts, and um, you know there just simply isn't the margin this season for for any production issues on U.S. corn, um, any production issues on on uh, on on second crops in Brazil either. So um, you know, that, that 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 is something which we need to be be watching very closely because at the same time you have North Africa um, uh, and and other countries uh, th- throughout the continent which are um, already experiencing drought. And those are all big wheat buying areas of the world who rely heavily on the Black Sea. If they can't get it out of the Black Sea, then they're coming to Europe, they're coming to the US, they're coming to Australia um, uh, and and South America, um, uh, which obviously puts increased pressure on these major exporters. Gosh, it really is deeply worrying, isn't it? Um, Mike, James talked about production there. Um, Will there be any impact in terms of milk output, do you think, in the UK? Yeah, well, I, th- I think it's we've we've already seen that to some degree anyway. Uh, so far this year, before this crisis, a lot related to last year's forage quality. But we, we've had a, a cost of production this year that's been more in the mid thirties. Um, but the milk price has lagged, and the milk price increases that the processors are able to get past the supermarkets perhaps haven't been enough um, to motivate, encourage milk production and I don't think that they're way behind the curve of what's happening now in in Ukraine in terms of implication of cost and my earlier reference to the sort of 40p break even that we're just calculating now they're going to have to move considerably forward uh, and and almost make a a, a, you know a catch-up really um, to to motivate farmers to produce milk um we've got to be over that 40p i would suggest um to keep keep people committed and cash flows to buying fertilizer when they can to buying straights keeping cows um in barns you know in in terms of the number i mean um because there is a there will be a cash flow crisis on farm if if um, that milk price isn't there in order to, you know, because of the rising cost of inputs. Yeah. Do you, do you think that will happen? Do you think, do you think they'll do that? Well, market, for, I think whatever politicians or supermarkets indicate or think or say, I, I think ultimately market forces fundamentally drive outcomes, don't they? Mm. Um, and, and I think if the, if, I think a lot of the processors are waiting for the spring flush to some degree. They often have thought that that has sorted the milk market out. And it may to some degree as we approach April and May. But I think when we get to June and July, when always production falls, it will probably fall at a faster rate if that milk price isn't there. Then they won't have product on the shelves if they're not paying in excess of cost of production to motivate farmers and, and the world to produce milk. Yeah. Okay. Finally, then, James, um, 
I, I guess it's a pretty big question, but do you think the Russia-Ukraine crisis will encourage any longer-term shifts in behaviour of growers on a farm level? And do you envisage any shift in thinking for UK arable farmers? I, I would like to say yes, and and you know that that you know they've become a sort of greater focus on on managing the volatility both in inputs and, and outputs and you know farmers taking more control of, of of stock levels and becoming less reliant on on global supply chains holding more chem storing more ferts um you know less of this sort of just in time mentality which which we've become become so used to um you know where, where markets as we markets as we see at the moment are, are so incredibly it be fra- if fragile um uh, i i think it's going to be difficult. Um, in, you know, in reality, um, you know, we've seen big spikes in fertilizer in the past to similar levels. Um, 2008, um, uh, we saw yeah. charging oil prices running away. Um, we've seen uh, you know, shifts to, to, to more demand for biofuel um, and input heavy crops in the, in the US. Um, uh, we've seen grain spikes in 2010, 2012. You know, we've seen huge volatility on both inputs and outputs in the past. Um, has has a massive amount changed over that time um pr- probably not as much as it could have done um uh, it, it, to, to to put it modestly but but i think um you know we are seeing a new wave of change and we're seeing more sustainable farming practice a, a greater focus on cost um uh, uh, and a new generation of farmers and at the same time you know we're seeing growing global demand so you know the, the opportunity in farming has never been so great um it's it's challenging but it's exciting um, uh, and it's an industry which we've got to remember has changed dramatically over the past 100 years and uh, and will change dramatically over the next 100 years. And I think fundamentally, the the, the mission is still the same. You know, the, the, the mission is to feed feed a growing population. And, and this will never change. You know, the, the way which we do it will change. Um, it could change faster. Yes. But but uh, I think you know, that that is still underlying this market and the industry. What a great place to leave it. <laughs> thanks james well that's all we have time for um but a very big thank you to our guests today james bolsworth and mike bray thank you very much for listening we'll be back next week with chris but for now it's goodbye from all of us here